Should we just go straight to the twisted finger? <laughs> sure. Oh, at the credits. <laughs> John is quoted as saying, pull my finger, let's start the news. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to another edition of Black Hills Information Security, talking about news. In this episode of the news, we're going to be talking about the midnight blizzard attack. We're also going to be discussing the much crappier named Bank of America breach. Boo. So bad, so bad. We're going to be talking about so much cloud stuff, y'all. Like, there's so many different cloud stories that are coming up. Um, you know, cloud servers and sensitive infamy, uh, sensitive emails being spilt online. Cisco laying off thousands of employees to focus on AI, which is Cisco. It's just not not going to work for you. AI is a thing, just not for you. But we'll get to that here in just a little bit. <laughs> U.S. Internet leaked years of internal customer emails through one of their it, business. It's a funny story because I mean, it's an awesome story. Like. The stories today are amazing. It non-production, non-production systems. The CSO online website has some good stuff there. So just really good stuff. Let's get to it. I'm joined by my illustrious cast. Uh, I've got Hack McDuck is joining us. <laughs> uh, we also have Joff, just Joff. Um, no just, comment. Just, uh, just Joff, make your hacky hack hack Joff. Yeah, rocking <laughs> the red seed shirts. Very good. We got Ralph, Ralphany, Ralphany, Ralphie, just Ralphie. There Ralphie. Go, Ralphie. And Florida man today, just Ralphie. We have Penn is on. Ryan is always. So thanks, Ryan, for making us look awesome. Speaking of looking awesome, we have Kelly Tarala. So she's going to be helping us Thank with you. all of our compliance needs that we may be running to. And then also, Zach! We got Zach on as well. So we're very happy to have Zach, Zach. here. So which story do we want to talk what, talk about? Because I'm a little burnt and burnt out. For those of you that don't know, I'm down in the uh, down someplace warm getting sun. It's great. But that means my brain's not functioning properly. So what story should we jump with? Should we jump in the midnight blizzard? What what's the midnight blizzard? I feel like I you are it's not in the list, John. I, I, I We're not that, allowed to I go think off that's script. Kind of the name of my next band. Yeah. <laughs> it is honestly one of the greatest. Uh, that should be a band. Okay. Um, what is Midnight ahead. Blizzard, John? APT twenty nine, ATP. Yeah. Who, who came up with this name? Yeah. It's the Russian Midnight Blizzard hackers. I don't know exactly how they got their name, but I'm sure somebody who's listening does. If they could tell us how Midnight Blizzard got their name. Oh, well, no. I know what it Did is now because we talked about it. We just didn't, we didn't, it wasn't called Midnight Blizzard when we talked about it. It's the one with the Microsoft uh, yep. dev account that was compromised, right? Yep, because it didn't have two-factor authentication. It was a test yeah. account. Password um, spray against Microsoft worked. It's like... They didn't think about whether they should do it. They just did it, and then it worked. And they were Wait, like, so we're going back to the same story. Which what what what's happened? Because now it has a name. Yeah. That's that's the new. And it has a name, name. And, it, and a theme song, which we're going to play later. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> does it have a logo though? We we need it. work. Yeah, no, it does. It's just a, it's like a little snowflake. Oh. It, it does. It was generated by AI. It's, a <laughs> it's not a. That's not a. Blizzard. Yeah, I don't, I don't think we really. Has anything changed? I mean, we did talk about it before. 
I guess um, okay. They also tied they also tied in the Cloudflare at last game breach as part of it. Yeah. Well this gets okay, into so, a theme. Right. I think that this is the reason why we're talking about it and the reason why it came up is once it's in the news again. But this is gonna be a theme today is there's a lot of SaaS going on in the news today. There's a lot of breaching of Wait, SaaS. software as a service SaaS or like snark? <laughs> SaaS as a SaaS. Okay. Really so you're not gonna Z snap at any point. Mm. No, no, no. This but graphic this is pretty cool, though. It is a very good graphic. We should just leave that up. But, <laughs> but yeah, we've got a lot of attacks that deal with software as a service today. And um, I think that this kind of brings it more in line with like, no, this is a big freaking deal. And this also gets back onto the soapbox that I keep trying to stand on. If your organization does not have two-factor authentication, that will be a high-risk vulnerability discovered because... We're seeing organization after organization after organization that on this initial point of compromise is that fundamental lack of two-factor authentication. Uh, yeah, our very own, he's not here today, sadly, but our very own Andrew Krub was quoted in he an was. article by CSO Online. Basically kind of, it's like a meta article similar to what um, we're talking about now, but it's essentially the non-production system security is the same as production system security, right? It's like, the Atlassian system that was compromised that led to Cloudflare's breach was not probably considered a production system. However, it led to a widespread out outage or that they had to self-induce because it was, you know, unknown access to unknown servers that ended up escalating way beyond what anyone probably would have imagined. Same thing happened with Midnight Blizzard. You have non-production accounts that don't have MFA because they're non-production, and then they get pivoted into real data access, real production data access. So I guess that's kind of the theme, right? It's like, just because it's non-production doesn't mean it's not important to have MFA, like John mentioned, or have other monitoring or whatever. Um, and we're going to get this, we're going to get the story up, the CSO online story, Ryan can grab that. I just put it in the private chat. There we go. So for those of us that have been doing testing for a long time, this is a very common gripe that customers have, right? Especially whenever you're doing red teaming or just an external, where you find something that's quote unquote, not production, you gain access to that and possibly you pivot. Maybe you don't, I don't know, depending on the time frame that you have. And when you do that, it's very, very common for customers to say, oh, I don't think that this is a higher critical because what you got on was not a production system. Even if we can show them, no, there was in fact production data on this system. It, it, it's just continuous. We see this in the testing space where people are constantly pushing back. And and I think that this gets into a, a, more, a larger meta problem in this space. It gets into vulnerability prioritization, right? And this is one of those things that just absolutely grinds my gears, which by the way, we have a webcast coming up this Thursday about PCI 4.0 and grinding gears, I guess. But this is one of those things that absolutely grinds my gears is there's so many organizations that want vulnerability prioritization. They want artificial intelligence to tell them, okay, this is your critical system. This is a critical vulnerability. This is critical. You need to fix this. And they don't understand that everything is interrelated. And many of the successful attacks that we get are going through low or informational vulnerabilities on non-production systems, pivoting to production systems. If you can go back to the original Midnight Blizzard article, with that graphic of how the attack worked, non-production, what is it? We scroll up right there. Non-production legacy test account 
They were then able to do hijacking, gaining access to OAuth apps, getting access to all of these different things. And for many organizations, they would say, sorry, that account that you got was not a production account. Therefore, there was no risk associated with it. And I want to punt this over to Kelly because I've, I've ranted enough. Kelly, whenever you're working with companies and you're doing GRC, you're doing audit, you're doing compliance, as somebody that's been doing compliance for a really long time, how in the hell do you split that, that this is production, this is not production as far as implementation of different compliance standards and how you like put that in as somebody that's assessing the security of an organization to strike that balance? Well, there's a couple of things. I think, first of all, a lot of organizations, they're, they're moving quickly. And sometimes I've got friends who like to say agile just means you're being lazy. There should be a hard, a hard wall, a moat okay, between stop, production. Stop, 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 <laughs> stop. Hold on. I've got a text. I've got a text, Jason. We're going to make that into a shirt. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Kelly, I actually disagree with that, but anyway. All right, well, go ahead. Go ahead. I, it was a it was a gross statement, but in some organizations, sometimes say we're agile, we just got to get it into production. Um, is can be um, less effective. I'll 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 turn that down a little bit. But what I'm trying to say is, there should be a definite moat, like a castle, between production and testing systems, and to be able to get promoted from production to test or to move from one environment to the other, there needs to be control management and change management. John, that's how we sort of measure measure that gap. And you said it a little earlier in our, in our conversation here, it's about risk. I think in some organizations, we just mis, uh, misinterpret the risk between that little area between production and our corporate environment. I'm sorry, between test and our production environment. And I, I kind of remember like years ago, we were having a conversation at some restaurant, I want to say in Florida, but I'm not sure. And you were talking about an audit that you were working on and you, you were talking to a customer and they said, this is not a production system, but they had production data on that system as part of like their dev environment, right? They were running production data through a dev system to make sure it was like QCing properly. And you were arguing with the customer can't remember the exact quote, but you were basically like, that's, that's a production system. And they're like, no, 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 it's not. It's not. It's not. It, it, it's not. And you're like, it has production data. It's a production system. Is that a good delineation still? Like, there's production data. Let's not kid ourselves. It is production at, at a minimum. Well, if it's PII, it's production. Mm -mm. Yeah. Maybe I'm taking a miss a bad view of things, but I guess from my perspective, if you're doing agile right, everything is production. That's how I would see it. It's like there is no, there's no environment that we don't test, that we don't like look at, that we don't scan, that we don't consider sensitive. Like, I don't know. Right. I, I that's I, I. It's obviously not always possible to say, well, all security controls are in place on all systems. But I don't get why you would just say, oh, well, you know, security was an afterthought because, like, you should never start that sentence. You shouldn't begin <laughs> to say, well, security didn't apply because, like, just apply yeah. security to everything. Oh, no. It's like the it's well, like the I, chaos I, engineering I, thing. I was thinking the same thing, Corey, in the context of DevOps, right? How do we square DevOps with production versus test when DevOps kind of is a dev to production kind of process, right? Mm -hmm. In a lot of uh, organizations. So I think it gets more difficult, blurry, if you like, uh, because of the, uh, the, the speed and efficiencies that people are introducing with DevOps that is also introducing challenges, significant challenges uh, from a security right. perspective. 
So I'm I'm a pen tester, a traditional pen, a red team or whatever you want to call me. I always test in production. I don't there's nothing else I know. <laughs> I only hack real accounts. I'm not going after some fake test account. I should be obviously based on APT29, but <laughs> I guess that be tested in production. Pe, pe, yeah, I was going to ask Pen, who's a a re, you know, a web app or someone who's focused on in actual test environments. How often do you test in a test environment? Is it always is it like what is the ratio and and how much delineation do you see between test and fraud? Like, on like authenticated web app tests, I would say 60 or 70% of our customers actually give us dev environments or at the very least give us test accounts in production environments so you cannot target real customer data, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Now this was actually not BHS related at all, but I was testing a university system one time and they're like, yep, all of this is dev. So obviously I was like, okay, so what happens if I change this request for information, just change the host header to the production system <laughs> using those threads and everything. And don't that do that. took a while to respond and there was lots of data in response. Yep. So. Yeah. Well, it's, it's yeah. I mean, I think system. Yeah. I mean, as a pen tester, I, I'm not like an, a developer by any stretch, but like reading, reading, you know, the agile manifesto and other things like, I would see it as kind of the extension of chaos engineering. It's like security chaos engineering. Everything is production. Everything is an incident worth investigating. Everything is like needs MFA and needs security, whether or not it's, you know, early stage dev or whether it's production. But I think that that's a collision of kind of like where we were and where we're going, right? Like if we have the traditional Active Directory environment, right? Where you have a DMZ and in your DMZ, you have a web server and that DMZ is the delineation between your Active Directory environment and everything on the internet that's not the Active Directory environment. And now we're moving to cloud computing. And of course, we can get in like complete weird circles by talking about zero trust. And it's almost like we have this old mindset of dev and production and all of that. And now we're trying to move to the agile thing. We're trying to move to the cloud. We're trying to move to zero trust. And those lines get really, really, really blurred uh, very quickly. And I think you run into this collision, like I said, from, from kind of a mental perspective of like, especially with web apps, where you're just like, we need to be doing traditional old school style testing and yet the rest of the apps are moving at the speed of like agile and you're doing stuff in the cloud. You're spinning things up very, very, very fast and having all the security vulnerabilities that come with it. And then offloading all of the security risk to it's the SaaS vendor, which we have more SaaS vendor stuff coming up as well. So stay tuned. And more SaaS. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Here's another SaaS. Um, the Bank of America. Uh, Bank of America is warning its customers of a data breach, exposing their personal information after Infosys Macamish Systems, one of its service providers, was hacked last year. Now, the reason why I absolutely love this story is the fine folks at Bleeping Computer reached out for details for Bank of America, and Bank of America literally just said, go talk to Infosys Macamish. And the reason why I like this story is when we moved our email at Black Hills Information Security to Google, and then eventually we moved it over to Microsoft, there was a lot of people, especially in the early days of BHIS, that were like, why are you moving your mail to Google Mail? Like, the only way to do security right is you want to stand up your own email server and you harden that thing. And you don't Squirrel trust Google. Mail. Squirrel, Squirrel Mail. Squirrel Mail. Right? Yeah, we're going to lock it all down. <laughs> Toast. 
if I build that server and that server is hacked, that's a hundred percent on me. If I do this through Google and there's a vulnerability in Google, the news story is Google was hacked and boy, bank of America is leaning into this, uh, basically saying, Hey, you need to go talk to the people that actually got hacked, not us. Um, and I wonder how, do you think that this is a strategy that works or do you think maybe it's time is going to be somewhat limited? I think it works a few times. And then if you keep picking vendors that keep getting hacked, people are going to start asking you, like, what is your due diligence process? Like, what, no how are you picking these vendors? Who no is picking these? Hired for hiring Okta. Oh, God, wait. Wait, too soon? Too soon. <laughs> too soon. <laughs> yeah. yeah, my question. I, yeah, go ahead. Go I was, oh, I was just going to say, my question is, is, I wonder who made that suggestion to point them to um, the third party. Was it a technical decision? Uh, a, did a lawyer make the decision? Did a PR expert make the decision? Because I think who recommended it um, tells us why they did it. And I hear your point, John. Interesting. If, you, if you're the one who got um, breached, then you have responsibility for it. But I, is it is there a contractual obligation that says if Bank of America points it to them, then they don't have to do as many breach notifications? Because I wonder, did Bank of I as a Bank of America customer, I did not get a breach notification. And you wouldn't because it wasn't well, their only, system breached. Only fifty three. Well, yes. only fifty three k people's info was breached, and for anyone wondering, it was IMS got hit by Lockbit. So, I guess from Bank of America's perspective, it is kind of fair. They have to, it's like, this is kind of an interesting thing for, I guess, for Kelly to comment on. Regulatory requirements required them to file a data breach notification in Maine or whatever, the whatever state, like, is the current, you know, canary in the gold mine for breaches. And then, you know, basically they had to file it because it is their customer data, but it wasn't their fault. You know, if their vendor gets ransomware, I mean, what are you going to do about that? Like, not use that vendor. That's about all you can do. Um, so I guess, like, from a regulatory perspective, do you see this as working as intended? Or is it like they had to file, which makes them look like they got breached, but then they just have to point the finger because if one of your vendors gets ransomware, it's not like you can't you can't stop your vendors from getting ransomware at the end of the day. At least I don't see that as being like, what is your security program? Oh, yeah, we stop all of our vendors from getting ransomware. <laughs> Explain how we do their security <laughs> for them. <laughs> Explain how. So, so, Corey, to answer your question, that's kind of what I was alluding to is there's a, there is a strategy involved here. And it's not just straight black and white. There is a breach notification, send it out. Somebody decided how to handle it. I don't know if it was because of their cyber insurance policy, if it was their communications plan. I, I don't have enough information really to answer your question if it worked the way it was supposed to work, because I don't know who initiated it. Well, I mean, so, like the regulation, I guess. It's like, is this one step too far as far as like these requirements. I mean, I personally see it as useful because it t otherwise as a, as a consumer, like you mentioned, I'm a customer. Otherwise I would have no idea they were breached other than I get that letter in the mail that says you're eligible for a class action lawsuit like three years later. Perfect. So, would you, like you know, to <laughs> so, you can right. get $6. Yeah. I want to keep riffing on this. There's a quote from Ben from Casey said that is the role of third party diligence. Right. And, this whole idea of supply chain security management. I, I, I kind of want to ask, like, you know, we got like the grifts and the snake oil, like security scorecard um, and those types of companies out there where they're like, we'll look at the outside posture of an organization and we'll make a determination as to whether or not they're secure, which is just 
it's very light. It's not in depth. I, I don't know. I, I really don't like it. And that's my own personal opinion. I think it's a scam, y'all. Um, so take it with a grain of salt and always validate on your own. But is it possible to do third-party validation before you start working with these different SaaS providers to make sure that you're not working with an organization that has absolutely horrible security practices? I'll let other people go on that. I have a hot take, but I'll, I'll save it for yeah, last. You can go at the end, Corey. <laughs> Well, so what is due diligence? If due diligence is saying, I'm going to send you a spreadsheet and fill it out, that may or may not, that's not really due diligence. You know, we used to have cybersecurity insurance years ago when we had an MSP and it was a, it was a one, basically five questions. And one of the questions was, are you doing antivirus? Okay. You are great. Then, then you're, then you're showing security due diligence, and, you know, and as at the same time that we're implementing MFA. So their questionnaire wasn't really asking a true risk-based um, conversation or question. But back to um, Ben from KC's point, if he's trying to um, build trust as an organization saying, hey, we want to pass along this information that one of our third parties had an issue, then, then that's a good strategy. You're not tattletailing on them. You're saying, hey, we, we want to be transparent with our customers, so we're going to pass on this notification. Um, EK Baker Card said, until your customer comes to you with a security scorecard or bit site report saying, improve your grade by next quarter or we're moving our business, that crap happens, which once again, is part of the reason why it feels like that is InfoSec mafia. Like, <laughs> it'd be a damn shame if this business uh, got a bad score rating for its yeah. All right, here's so. my take on this. I've been doing this security testing thing for a, a long time, like 10 plus years. And I would say any checklist you make on how you can do due diligence, I can come up with an example of a breach that doesn't apply to that due diligence. Like, And also I would say, I generally do keep track of the a, a list of, and I don't have this written down, but in my head, the customers I've tested and how secure they felt at the time and then the customers that have gotten breached afterwards or in the past. And I would say there is absolutely no correlation between what I felt the customer security level was and what the likelihood they actually get breached were. I have tested customers and thought, these people are going to get breached tomorrow. They have all these huge issues and then nothing. I've tested customers where I thought, this is one of the most secure organizations out there. They're doing everything right. And they get breached the next month. It's a lot of it comes down to, first of all, luck, which I mean, let's not talk about that, but it is a big thing. These exploits and breaches are chains. And if one of those links in that chain breaks, it could be due to luck. You might have had that one alert that you set up six years ago that you forgot about, but it fired at the right time. And that's why you didn't get breached. So I would say like, if you're doing third-party risk management beyond just the basic spreadsheet that Kelly mentioned, which you should do because you need it from your perspective to have things documented and written down that you at least checked them. I don't think you can build a checklist that says, if you can pass all these checks, then you're breach free because that just doesn't, it's not real. I, that's an illusion of security. That's my personal opinion. But So Zach, we, we need a new marketing thing. GRC, it's all yeah. just luck. Pen testing. If your strategy is to get lucky and you can actually pull that off, that's a really good strategy. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. You, you made it through a year without getting hacked. Go to Vegas. <laughs> good for you. So, speaking of 
Speaking of like absolutely horrible hacks, and I really want to get Ralph uh, to talk about this one. Krebs on security, US internet leaked years of internal customer emails. Um, this is, there's a couple of things about this story that are really, really, really tweaky. First thing about this story is Brian Krebs, as soon as he notified them and tried to get a comment for his news story, they immediately responded back with, do you do consulting? And he said, <laughs> no. But he said it really felt icky, like as though they were trying to get him on retainer so he wouldn't go public. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's bad when Krebs actually puts that in the article. He's like, these guys felt, these guys felt dirty. Also, this breach is like the level of stupid. In no, this. this is like zero hack. This is just, we just it's, left it all open and whoops. It's, and, it's so bad. It's so bad. And then the quote, and this is what I wanted to get from you, Ralph, was they gave a convoluted answer on how this actually happened. They said the feedback from my team was an issue with the Ansible playbook that controls the Nginx server configuration for our IMAP servers. Um, said that noting that this incorrect configuration was put in place by a former employee and never was caught. <laughs> the US internet has not shared how long these messages were exposed. So, I, I mean, sum this up. I'm going to sum this up. We didn't yeah, know what we were doing. That? Can and, you translate that for yeah, us? Yeah, we didn't know what we were doing, and um, somebody else did, and they left. No, I, I'm gonna, <laughs> no, I, well, wait. The icing I, on the I, cake I, would be the icing on the cake would be if it said current or previously current, now former yeah, employee. Current, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I've, I've got this, guys. Guys, not only we didn't know what we were doing. Our employee that was fired in 1995 left his code running on a server, <laughs> gathering dust in yes. the corner yes. of the organization. Yes, that's there, what this is. There is nothing in that response about like security or like this is just stuff that got left. It sounds like they were yeah. like, "Whoops, we didn't know that was still doing stuff over there," and right. nobody. And, and the list, the list was being published with a Perl script. Yeah, yeah. I mean. <laughs> But as, as they tend to say in these things, but wait, there's more. Holden <laughs> said he also discovered that the hackers have been abusing the securance link scrubbing anti-spam service called URL Shield to create links that look benign, but instead redirect visitors to hacked and malicious websites. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Bad guys modify the malicious link reporting it in, into redirects into their own malicious sites that's how the bad guys drive traffic to their sites and increase their search engine notifications. Like it just keeps getting worse. Like, yeah. The, and the employee that we fired, fired got hired as a COBOL programmer in 1999. <laughs> I, and also at this point you're oversharing Holden. Like when Brian Krebs asks you about a breach, answer the data about the breach. Don't bring up, but you know, there's more. <laughs> More stuff that's pretty bad. Here. Oh, bad! You know that <laughs> thing that we have that's supposed to secure links. I not the bad guys have been using that to spread malicious. Here, here's what blows my mind more than anything, John. It just blows my mind that companies like this are you know still in business, right? There's enough profit doing these things, right? That they can just stay in business and not. I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, I could write a Perl script that leaks email addresses <laughs> on the internet. No, well, I, I joked in the Discord, but basically, you know, as we, we have the recurring meme of after a company gets breached, they have the job posting. Well, this job posting would just be like, 
job posting hiring for a senior security architect. Bob, please come back. We need you. <laughs> like it's just one guy. They're just, just specifically targeting guy. like whoever we fired. We're sorry. We messed it up. Come back. <laughs> well, you can have full. You can have. You can have pseudo now. We promise. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hate joking about this because there's crap in the back of my head. It's like someday VHIS is going to get hacked. God, I know uh, it's just a matter of no, time. No, no, John. But John, when that happens, third party, so that their hack, not ours. Right. When that happens, we'll point the finger. It yeah, it'll be fine. Yeah. Oh God. So also, I did buy those Amazon gift cards. Okay, you told me about. This isn't just us pickpiling, right? Like, let's back up for a second. This is bad, right? Like this. <laughs> Yes. Like, this isn't just a bunch of infosec people well, saying, oh, hold, uh, hold on. Hold but, on. For okay. an ISP, this is pretty low grade. Yeah. <laughs> For ISP. But they have that security company, Securance or whatever they're called. Securance. Yeah. Like, but when, when, you, when you have a website that you can browse to, you can click on your customers. And then what is it? You can then click that link and gain access to the inboxes for each that's bad that's right? a oh, feature john no, you know how convenient that is that is so convenient how i've are never you had to it get so get your easy. old email if you can't do this i bet i could drop a bet on this there's another Perl script that publishes the address of the routers in the isp with the telnet ports and click on it and you tell it into the router oh my god so this uh, this is bad but <laughs> it's, can, okay. we, can we talk about that the U.S. military was doing about the same thing with email. Oh, uh, yes. I did want to do that transition. It's not, it's not just bad, but it's not lonely. Yes, yes. Yeah, so so you the U.S. military sure. has been spilling emails as well, except for this time, it was on GovCloud, right? So for those who don't no, know... No, GovCloud uh, is secure. This is impossible that it got breached. So, hold on. For anyone who doesn't know, I'm sure there's probably a bunch of other stuff that happens on a GovCloud, but in general, the gist is is that like it's a data center the government It says knows. Gov on it. Yeah, it That's says Gov on it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, there, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sum this up to it's the uh, more expensive version of Azure that you can't get <laughs> being a government employee. Anyways, um, so I guess there was a exposed to the public internal mailbox system storing three terabytes of internal emails, uh, part of the U.S. Special Operations Command, uh, U.S. SOCOM, CENTCOM. SF-86s. Yes, SF-86s, all kinds of fun stuff. And I guess it was just a Shodan search away. I am kidding you not. Just so, okay, all you have to do now is hire someone to pretend and make the paper trail connect that this was actually an APT mm -hmm. that was using it as their staging server. That's what you have to do. You have to be like, listen, bring in the company. They're going to pretend they're going to point the finger, do the old false flag. It was mm -hmm. actually an APT. We're not stupid. We just got hacked. Yes. Yeah. So no one hacked the U.S. Special Operations Command Information Systems. Well, there's always the old tagline. It was Russia. I mean, yeah, <laughs> but this 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 the response from U.S. OCOM, Ken McGraw said in an email Tuesday, um, which the investigation, which was on Mon Monday, is underway. And it says, based on this investigation, quote, we can confirm at this point, no one hacked U.S. Special Operations Command's information system. I don't know who they're hiring to do that investigation, but they suck because they <laughs> are. Well, no, like, John, remember before how we were talking about if it's not production, it doesn't matter. Oh, cough, yeah, cough, right, Microsoft. Right. It's the they're same wrong. thing. As long as it's not classified, oh, it's, right. fine. it's fine. It's fine. Yes. It's so not I, 
section. It's just the SF-86 forms. For I do that's, believe, That's not though, classified. It's no big deal. I do believe that Azure GovCloud does have a classified segment, right? But they, hopefully, hopefully, God willing, it's not connected to the internet. Seraph uh, 111 said, it's not being hacked if it's just exposed. <laughs> <laughs> would you rather so, be dumb or would you rather be hacked? Which one would you pick? If they, you have, they as a CISO? They're leaning right into dumb. Like, really? <laughs> So, I would rather get hacked because you can't stop. Fun, hack, I thought the obviously. fun part about this, uh, the last thing about this, is that it wasn't necessarily a hack, just there was no password. <laughs> right. That's what yeah. I mean. Well, that, yeah, but that's what I mean. Like, it, from my perspective, if I was the CISO of SOCOM, which I mean, thank God I'm not for everyone else, that, that, um, that would be a command. I would be like, we got hacked by Russia, right? Like, I mean, come on. If, <laughs> if, if, if you crashed a truck in the, in the desert, just say that it got blown up. Like it's <laughs> yeah. not like it's that simple. Lie. Just, just lie. lie through your Much teeth, easier. man. This Humvee was definitely hit by an uh, We weren't uh, going over ramps in it. That definitely yeah. would never happen. Would it definitely happen. was an IED. Which by A the very way, small IED. Okay. <laughs> I have also found exposed customer emails on pen tests more than once. But perhaps a more optimistic way to look at both this story and the last is it is a great reminder to those of us who are security consultants to always browse to all of the URLs and always check the easy things before yes. spending a lot of time right. uh, and looking for SQL injection that may or may not be there. Go through the lows and informationals. Go through the lows and informationals. They're gold. Like That's where you're going to find the good stuff. It's not going to be a critical that has a Metasploit vulnerability. I can't even... I, I don't even think that we had a remote exploit like that on the outside of an environment using an exploit that was published in Metasploit. I don't like maybe once last year, but those lows and informationals are gold chef's kiss almost every single time. So use them. Um, that's and what Shodan is just a fun show. Shodan Shodan works. It's still effective at finding, you know, all, all, all sorts of fun stuff. Yeah. All right. Um, let's move on. Cisco, you mentioned it. You got to go, Cisco. Cisco. Are you going to get fired? <laughs> Stick to switching <laughs> routing. I'm telling yeah, you. Yes. <laughs> they're laying off five percent of their workforce, and the thing that sucks is join the club. I've been around these, like I've been around these companies whenever they're making these types of decisions, and literally, it's a whole bunch of guys in a room. And they're like, well, we need to structure and restructure. And they don't think about what they're actually doing. They don't even really think about who they're letting go. They don't like AI. All of our investors are, they're asking us about artificial intelligence. We've got to do something. And Joff just put it in text. Absolutely right. Totally a stock price decision, right? Because you're going to have Kramer on mad money. He's like throwing like rubber cows at the camera saying, <laughs> It's a brilliant move by the investor, by the people at Cisco. There's this huge thing. You got to invest in AI, and Cisco is showing this type of determination, and they're going to restructure it on AI, and that's why I think Cisco is a buy. <laughs> wow! I, I what podcast am I on? Yeah, I'm so bad to see this stuff because Cisco, between all of us. And all of you, you're not going to win in AI. Like, you're going to lose. Microsoft and Google beat you to that punch. As Joff just said, stick to routing and switching and They're destroying formerly good security. I see you're trying to set up router rip. Would you like some help with that? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> my, my fear is... Here? 
please put a chat bot in the CLI onlys that you have for all of your products, which is an appeal, right? I have one in there to help me get the commands back. Awesome. I can't wait. Yeah. So, okay. I I also, I I will say this, this from a, like, let's go high level business here. One thing that's interesting is they're saying they're going to lay off about 4,000 people, but they're saying over the course of the next year, does that not seem like... That seems really bad. I feel like you pull the Band-Aid, you lay the people off, and then your stock price go up. To just say, like, this is basically an announcement. It's like, we're going to kind of suck for a couple of years. So just don't look. No, we told you to make the AI this year. And if you don't do it, you're out. (laughs) That's that's what I I read into it. But the investors don't. Also, if you read this article a little bit further, them laying off 4% of their workforce is going to cost them something like $800 million, I think, for the restructuring that they're planning on doing. Yeah, yeah, with severance well, and layoffs. Uh, termination so. benefits would cost a total of $800 million. So, okay, yeah, this- $100 million, It's going to cost them a, almost a billion dollars to, to good God. Like, so, yeah, but John, that's just their monthly subscription to ChatGPT right now. They're trying to uh, cut that. Okay. They got to cut back, man. They got to yeah. cut back. I mean, I will say that, like, they did just buy Splunk. I don't know. The corporate oh, world dude, right now dude. seems to be very confused. Oh, They're just the like, way, here, 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 you got always it. just buys somebody Corey, when they Corey. want to get into that market. Corey, I've got this quote in the article that it, we, when you say Splunk, kind of sums this up. The company contending with falling revenue has turned its focus on booming AI industry. Last year, the company announced it would acquire, quote unquote, Machine learning and cybersecurity companies. Splunk. <laughs> they like, do. They they're really spinning that one. They're yeah, like, they're yeah, really it's, it's machine learning. It's, it's, it's There's data in there, John. So I mean, there's data. Know, so it's machine learning, right? Yeah, exactly. There, you, do you, you think learn. shareholders can tell the difference between Splunk and an LLM? No, no, no. They can't. No. Twelve, twelve. Riza. Oh my God. Hot take <laughs> of the day so far. Yeah. Companies far too bloated with people that don't contribute to anything. They have arbitrary jobs like director of creativity, creativity things, or director of HR. <laughs> okay, oh, but, oh, okay, hold on, hold oh, on. Cold. Now, 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 Riza. Now you have to write a job posting for the new head of AI and their respective roles. <laughs> yeah, and I'm not going to disagree with that. Like working with a lot of these very large companies, working in the government sector. Oh, I, I, we we all have stories, right? We all have. St- yeah, I thought HR were our friends. <laughs> In almost every single one of these companies that you go to, there is absolutely a, a lot of flow. Like, I mean, when I worked at you know various big five consulting companies, I guess in the past, like seriously, there was always one or two people that were working their ass off, and there was like twelve or thirteen people leaning on shovels, which is confusing because we are in a knock. Why do they even have shovels to lean on in the anyway? Dig in the grave. <laughs> you, you just you just do see that there is inefficiencies, and if they were going to address the inefficiencies, whether it's the government or Cisco or IBM, great, then do that. But I also also know that what happens with this four percent cut is not fixing efficiency. They're going to indiscriminately lay off a bunch of people. And part of the reason why I wanted to talk about this and I completely forgot up until now is because you're going to see somebody possibly in the future that formerly worked at Cisco and was let go. And it's very common for executives to say things like, well, if they were let go, then they're on the bottom 4% of Cisco. And that's bullshit. Um, You cannot look at the people that are let go with these stupid effing layoffs as though they're cutting the fat 
and they're focusing on like their top performance. That's not how these layoffs go in these large companies. Because if they're inefficient before they laid off people, they're going to be inefficient at laying off people. So please do me a favor. Do not judge these people that are laid off harshly. Uh, because they literally, they, they, they I don't know, a bunch of dolphins names out of a pool somewhere. They, they could be their top performer too. And then yeah, they're, but they're also their, their, their higher end pay. Right. And so they're yep. looking to, you know, they're not looking at necessarily because it, it can be hard sometimes in this large of an organization or just a really large organization to like quantify the output of the employee. Right. Like other people yeah. may be like, oh yeah, this person really is busting their butt. Whereas, you know, somebody else who's getting paid less is doing good enough, you know, like, well, let's know. also talk about this is a strategy move. They're removing away from certain business units to focus on other business units. Yep. Whether mm-hmm. that was the right move or not is up to debate. Mm-hmm. Is Cisco going to make a huge play at AI, fail miserably, and then it's going to spin <laughs> off all the routing and switching into another company? <laughs> or the, the other uh, fun prediction we can make now is, Okay, so if the people who are maintaining all the legacy business, let's call it routing and switching, whatever you want to call it, now that they're all getting laid off, our products that have pending security flaws going to be just shelved and left to rot? Like, is it going to be like the same thing we were talking about with the Eve Elevance or whatever? I forget what it was called, the um, company that was securing the email for that ISP. If, if yeah. they got, yeah, is, is it like that where it's like, they just fired all the people that were like doing the security stuff mm. and now it's just gone forever. It's like, no, that patch so. is now that patch is marked as on no, hold. D- d- don't like, worry. In Cisco's case, they'll just acquire a new product and say, this is our latest strategy, man. <laughs> oh my God. I mean, that's, that's Cisco's like number one game, right? They oh, buy other totally. companies historically. That's what they do. They do. They acquire the company and they integrate it with whatever they're trying to do. I mean, that is their MO from the very get go. They're not innovators. They're an acquirer. My fear, try to it. Try. <laughs> my fear is there's going to be layoffs in Duo, and uh, I was wait what for Ooh, yeah. Duo Duo Cisco security Duo yeah yeah that's oh, Cisco by Duo. So we're putting so much emphasis on MFA, and we're talking about MFA, and we always talk about MFA on Mondays. How many of these that's layoffs MFA. are going to affect their MFA business unit? Well, is it AI based right. MFA? Kelly. It, yeah. Kelly I think that that's a great point. And I, I, I think it goes to like a lot of times whenever they're cutting these people out of the company, they look at these cash cows. Cause I look at duo as a cash cow. They're not really innovating. I know somebody from duo is going to freaking email me now right after I get the email from security scorecard. Well, they're not getting breached either, which is your two, but, your two options right now in MFA are breaches or cash cow, I guess. Yeah. But, but, but what happens with these companies with these layoffs is they look at their cash cow business units and they're not innovating and disrupting. So those are the business units that they cut. And Kelly is absolutely right. Like that is a huge problem in these companies because they take the stuff that they actually make money off of that are boring to try to shove more money in the innovation place so they can do some type of growth, I guess. I don't know. The other thing I hate about this is no one remembers. Like whenever you're working with, when you're working inside of these companies, and we got a lot of people that are listening right now. I want to see if you've ever seen this where executives make these decisions and they're the wrong decision again and again and again. And no one ever, like no one ever sits down and is like, you know, this executive has bled out almost a billion dollars on this thing. It didn't turn around. And people just don't forget the failures of the executives or more often than not, the executives move on. Yeah. I was going to say, John, they, they fire them. They fire them right away or they leave. 
because, you know, whatever, it's not working out and they're going to move on to their next parachute. And then, you know, they're just turnover of new executives with really bad ideas because all they did was show up and they're like, I got a thing that's going to change everything. The last guy who was here had no idea what he was talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we have a, we have our job posting as we do on the show. Rizza posted uh, director of artificial intelligence position at Cisco. Mandatory fifteen years experience with OpenAI, so you had to be there before the company existed. Five years experience integrating Midjourney onto social media posts, just copy and pasting and adding thumbs. And then salary is hundred k or hundred k, uh, depending on stock experience and value. I, I think salary is a bit low. Yeah. I mean, just uh, <laughs> fifteen years. Cisco, that's really I don't know. That, well, it was written by AI. It doesn't really understand numbers. You can get it to say two plus two equals five if you try hard enough. So, hey, we have a request from Discord to talk about Air Canada chatbots. Air Canada. Oh, is this the one where uh, they had to like honor the price because the chatbot mechs? The chatbot was responsible <laughs> oh, for its God. own actions when giving the wrong information. Yeah, yeah. I, chatbot went all hallucinogen on them, and then yeah. So I all right. So this I guess the AI is functioning as intended, though it's convincing people into buying full price tickets. That's just a win. You told it to make more sales, and it did. You didn't like its outcome. (laughs) It is insane to me that someone has actually plugged a production chatbot like this in, and like, uh, it's amazing. It they were ordered to pay compensation for the record. So the good guys, aka the people talking to the chatbot, did win. I guess we don't really know what the settlement or payout is. But essentially, the scenario is I'm talking to the AI chatbot, as one does. It's two in the morning, and I don't want to call help support and wait for like three hours. They always are there for you, the chatbot. They're always there for you. I'm talking to the chatbot. I'm asking it questions about, you know, how how much the fees are, how much the vouchers are. And it's giving me answers that are, you know, super quickly. It's not saying, as a large language model, I can't comment on your appearance. (laughs) But uh, essentially, the person ended up paying for a full price ticket. The voucher was wrong and they basically, you know, it ended up in some kind of dispute where the user saying, well, it told me this and then it wasn't this. So he sued them, which is amazing. Good and call. Uh, and essentially to write his uh, actual uh, lawsuit. <laughs> of course, of course, Air Canada then argued that the chatbot was a separate legal entity and was responsible for its own <laughs> actions. I'm sorry. Could you sue a chatbot? Like, is it going to Cisco it? Is it like Bob versus ChatGPT? I'm like, dying, I dude. I'm dying. They're is like, ChatGPT going to defend itself by making up legal cases <laughs> as we've seen? Why did yes, they fight we this? are going to put an AI into court, my friend. <laughs> going Seriously, to why did Air Canada fight this? I don't know. They because they made it worse, right? Yeah. They well, People agree they objectively made this worse for themselves. John, it's like, because their AI legal chatbot said to fight it. <laughs> they had to fire their whole legal team they replaced it with a chatbot it's it's a violent circle (laughs) just i just have this vision of a bunch of chatbots out there like bella lugosi going pull the strings pull the strings i can help you with that hold on here's some stuff i made up that will defend you in a legal environment chatbots are like if you put the humans in the jar and you shake it they fight each other look (laughs) <laughs> it is insane to me, by the way, the settlement amount, if you're wondering, 650 Canadian pesos, a.k.a. roughly, what, like 500 bucks? bucks or something? It's yeah. like the stupidest <laughs> thing. They're fighting like they're basically the PR disaster of like, Over we're like stupid penny. is going to cost them a little more than 500 bucks, in my opinion. But whatever. I don't know why they fought this. If they would have just paid. Oh, we're sorry. Our bad. Well, no. Well, John, what they have to do, air, airlines right now, they have to struggle to maintain 
who can have the worst customer experience and worst oh, customer yeah. service. There's actually, They're actually looking at sh- stacking seats on top of each other. That's going to go no, pretty I well. I want my face in someone's ass. Like I know. And also if the doors <laughs> fall way, off. That way I know when they fart. Like, you know, especially on the airplane, no, that's, that's, well, you won't know because the, the door doors fell off. Coming up yeah. where like, no, oh, that's the thrill ride. Hold on, I'm gonna open. I'm gonna air this out a little bit. I just farted, and then the door falls off. (laughs) That's what I call a great experience. I was on a max. uh, What is it? Max nine or max eight? Where the door fell off was a nine. I was. I was on that. I was right at that seat where the door plug was. Did you check the bolts? I always check the bolts. Like Eric and the kids were like, "This really sucks for you, Dad." I'm like, "You know what? I know that the bolts on that part of the plane are the most tested and evaluated that's, bolts." Yeah, that's true. And yet oh, he still pulled out a wrench and tightened them. Can we <laughs> yeah. get like you know how in the airline seat configurator, you know, how there's like economy, economy plus. Can we get like little red seats that just says danger zone and like they're just <laughs> they're just put randomly throughout the aircraft? Like yeah, just bots can sell those parachute. for $15. <laughs> the, <laughs> the price adjustment is like negative nine hundred dollars. It's like danger zone you're like should i do this i, I did read about like uh, a hack that somebody was doing with the airline so uh you know how if an airline's not full or whatever you can pick your seat or not or you can pick your seat before you get on the plane right or, you know like the week before if you're well, fancy were, and you paid for an economy plus. yeah yeah so what you do is you get like the economy basic seat and then right before the plane would board or on some of the airlines it'll let you see what seats are available still right if it's not overbooked and then you just go sit in that seat because it's not been booked <laughs> down to like the second when the plane gets on. I guess some people are getting a better. Yeah, seat. you can you can see that in the flight app, like in the yeah, United yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. a seat map, and, and then you can see it. Uh-huh. Whole, uh, you know, it kind of adds a whole new meaning to the word jump seat, right? Yes, <laughs> there you go. All right, so there's your free hack. But I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you all that that hack does not work, um, at least on United, because they do know who's in what seats. Well, like mm-hmm. whenever they go through. Yeah. And they will ask you to go back to your because I see I see people try that all the oh, time. Because they'll pull up on their phone and be like, "This seat's supposed to be open. You're not allowed to sit on it." Yeah, yeah. And when they go through, like yeah. they're at the point now where they when have they their, close the door, it's over. Yeah, they, but they have it on their iPad. Like when they're giving food and drink, they'll be like, "Mr. Strand, would you like something to drink? Do you like?" Oh, yeah. Well, that's only where you're sitting at. They don't, they're just like, "Hey, dude." No, no, no it, it's through the whole thing. <laughs> people jump up to Economy Plus. Yeah. I've seen them try to go to first class, and I love no, that's, that. That's the one that they would catch you for sure. Yeah, you're not they making will it catch in you the first. Go to yeah. first class, but even yeah. Economy Plus, like they'll be on you very, very, very quickly. Um, they they know. And when you, when you're in first class, they'll call you sir, and I'll be like, well, usually, usually when I'm flying, they just throw peanuts at my head. They don't usually yeah. use names. <laughs> okay, should we close this out with a Kelly friendly story? We should. The F- we should. We should. Okay. <laughs> so it's literally the first article in the notion. So I'm dropping it in. It's the FCC ordering telecom carriers that they have to report PII breaches within 30 days. Kelly, can you can you explain this? I. I feel like this has to already be required. Like, how is this somehow new? I don't get it. They've been talking about it for a few years, but it actually is a a new FCC order, believe it or not. But uh, we talked a little bit earlier on on this news episode that um, telecoms, we don't necessarily, I don't want to say we don't understand what they do, but they've had a lot of leniency. Um, And, you know, they were in the news when we were talking about, um, uh, 702 laws and that sort of thing. So I, I'm actually kind of glad that FCC is um, te- ask, well, demanding that telecoms report PII breaches because if if you don't have good a, a good home 
router filtering setup, your telecom knows way too much about you, at, at least in my opinion. But I'm sure somebody will disagree with me. So what I want to know is, is them selling my data considered a PII breach? Or is that just normal business operations? Normal no, business. We, call that a, we call that a rat bastard breach. Because, <laughs> well, I will say this might as well, you know how there's like laws that have like a name, like Miranda rights or whatever. Is this like the Comcast law? Is that what this is? <laughs> just it was because, designed because you have really bad companies out there. They're like, we need you guys. You, I'm sorry, you need this. Okay, you guys yeah. Like Comcast <laughs> was breached. You know, I guess T-Mobile. It should really be the T-Mobile law. They've been breached the most. They're, they're still on the honestly, top of the hill. T-Mobile could pull out a banjo and start singing all the songs of all the times they've been breached. Yes, they could. I want to. I want to start a company. We're just a data aggregation company. So what happens is a company brings in data and it gets filtered through us. We don't hold it for any period of time or whatever, but we're always available to be blamed. So, <laughs> John, Cisco just sent an offer for $10 billion. You in? <laughs> you yeah, like, let's see if we get some private equity funding in this. Like, it just comes through us. needs this. And then really. you can put it in your press release. There was a breach in this third-party company. <laughs> it could be near stuff, right? But you can just say, this company had access to our data, and the breach was over there. And no one's going to go like any layers at all. They're John, be like, this oh, is oh. so evil and would definitely work. Oh, <laughs> we, should right? we should redact this episode of the news and go make a million dollars. Honestly, this episode should be called Redacted. <laughs> is it called Scapegoats Inc. or something? What's it called? Scapegoats. Every, Scapegoats time, every, time John, every time John says I want to start a company, I, I just imagine Please that sitting in like an SUV, driving through at like a, a McDonald's in Delaware going, can I have a Big Mac and, a, and, and an LLC to go, please? <laughs> oh my God! Press no. uh, He just um, he just gave the, the URL is weacceptthorisks.xyz mm -hmm. is the name of the company is we accept the risk and I'm going to make them the CEO of that company. And can the <laughs> website can the website just say? No, wait, wait, the, no. I want to be the CEO. I want somebody to take the fall for me. So I'm going to make Proxmox the CISO. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah there you go. Yes, there you yes. to it. And also, well, someone else an intern can be... that gets paid a lot. Ooh, so, the okay. Ryan, you came up with a good one. Escape Goats LLC. Oh. I like that so, one, too. Well done. Yes, that's pretty good. But the question I have is, should the website just say, if, you've read, if you are reading this, we've been hacked? <laughs> like that's just the website like no one goes there no one's ever heard of this company it's until just, if you're yeah. reading this we've been hacked sorry the, instead of a notification canary it's like the opposite it's like <laughs> it's just always being breached it's, it's always and the default somebody, condition is breached if somebody clicks the link for we're sorry it takes them automatically to like credit monitoring and then we get a kickback from the credit yes, yes a referral yes. link to referral link. yes <laughs> Oh, this is amazing. There is definitely criminals watching the show being like, yes, and, yeah. and now next, where do I send the money? <laughs> well, we can't explain that. Where do I send the cash? So, all I right, so really buy. bad ideas. It, it's a really bad idea, and uh, it's time to close out the show. Mm. All right, everybody, thank you so much for listening, and as always, why? Um, also, <laughs> Black Hills Information Security, we do pen tests, we do sock work, we do IR work. We've got a product that detects advanced attackers and AC Hunter. There's your marketing slant for today. We do Thank you so much, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.